My name is Michael, I'm a compulsive overeater. And, uh, I'm also an anorexic and I'm also a, a, an exercise bulimic. So I suffer from all the different types of eating disorders. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I want to start by saying how much uh, I love Overeaters Anonymous and how much I love the 12 steps. And uh, it, really, it really has changed uh, my life and uh, has, has really helped me come out of a very dark hole which is, which is the dark hole of eating disorders and, and if you're in this room today and welcome Len um, if you're in this room today and you're really kind of like in a lot of pain this morning um, and you're struggling with you know food obsession and you hate the way you look maybe you're throwing up maybe you're over exercising to the point of insanity um, I, I completely understand all of that I, I totally understand it and, I, and I'm acutely aware of that pain and uh, the only place that I could really get up and stand up and talk about that pain and that depth of despair was in Overeaters Anonymous and um, I'm a, a, a very active member of other 12-step programs um, but when I get up and I talk about food and how I obsess over a slice of pizza on a table at a dinner people kind of look at me like just have the pizza and get on with it what's wrong with you you know it's not like taking a drink or doing coke or shooting heroin into your arm well actually it is it really is it causes the same type of pain and so you know I, I'm very very grateful that I found Overeaters Anonymous and I'm very very grateful that I found Overeaters Anonymous in, in Los Angeles and um my, the first time um, I ever remember overeating was um, I grew up in England, in the north of England and I grew up in a really chaotic, very painful, alcoholic home and I'm sure a lot of you relate to that as well and my father, when he drank, got very abusive and violent and there was like a routine of this uh, he'd go to the pub on a Friday night and I knew he would come back, the pubs used to shut at 11 o'clock at night there, I think they still do and I knew that by 11.30 he would be you know, either punching my mother or dragging her across the floor by her hair and I used to witness all that as a young kid, you know, I was like 5 or 6 and when you see your mother being like dragged across the floor by the head of her hair as a 5 year old, you don't know what to do, you want to stop it so desperately but you don't know what to do about it and uh, I remember you know waiting for this like monster to arrive back home because that's how I, I saw him and so what I used to do about an hour before he came home I would run down to the stairs and into the refrigerator and I'd pour a glass of milk and I, we always had sweets and chocolates and you know oh that's the way we lived in Britain it was always chocolate and sweets my grandmother always brought all these sweets and Cadbury's chocolate in and everything so there was always a huge amount of sugar in the house and I would eat this chocolate and sugar and it made me feel better and it took away this impending doom this fear of what was going to happen and that's my earliest memory of, of compulsive eating and so I found a solution to this like anxiety and deep fear and I kind of like carried this through all my life and I used food all my life to like just kind of bring myself down and just centre myself and it was, my, it was actually my great friend I remember doing my final exams at university and I was on a desk like this it was before we had all the computers you know back in the late 80s in this university in England 
uh, in Scotland actually and I was writing it and it was a very intense exam and I had all this chocolate in my pocket <laughs> and it, had, it was melting right and, and uh, it, there was all this like chocolate melting and I put it all on the desk like that and it just made me feel better and it, my mind just like calmed down and I could write the essay and just relax and I remember people looking and kind of sniggering at this pile of chocolate as I was doing my final exams and that was, that was how I kind of got through things you know and the other thing about me is and I, I think this is very common to all people in 12 step programs not just Overeaters Anonymous and I'll speak for myself here but I just you know I view the world in a really unique way and it's not a happy world it's not a loving kind embracing world it's actually a very fearful world and I don't really trust that many people and I just turned 50 so I'm not you know I'm not a spring chicken anymore and I still don't really trust a lot of people you know even in meetings I'm very selective about who I like get close to and I have a terrible problem forming real deep connections with people and when I tell this to people they, they like they, they're so surprised at it because I'm very gregarious I'm very you know humorous I work in sales people like me you know I have on the, on the, on the surface a lot of friends kind of but real deep connection and people who I really trust and really connect with very few and far between and I'm really I was thinking about this last night I really need to work at that in a big way and um, I haven't really found it in Overeaters Anonymous actually I've sponsored a lot of people and I've had a really positive impact on a lot of people's lives who've kept in touch with me years later and sponsored a boatload of women actually which was really good for me to really connect with women and understand you know because I really didn't have good relationships with my sisters and these people have all kept in touch with me years later after I've got you know taken them through the steps but you know it's still something really lacking in my life where I'm, you know, I'm really trying to connect with people I, I don't know if that's ever going to change to be honest maybe it will I don't know but I just wanted to talk about that because it's a real characteristic of somebody who's in program but food let me relate it back to food food never let me down whereas people did and food was always there and it was a very uncomplicated relationship and, uh, it, 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 and the food relationship, that friendship had an immediately positive impact on my mind it had a terribly negative impact on my body because my body got so disfigured with the amount of food I was eating but food never let me down and in a strange way you hear this about alcoholics you know it helped me get through things you know it helped me get an education it helped me come to America it helped me in, in the first part really build a life for myself here it was a medication all the time the food and then it turned on me and it took me to a really dark place and I hit a really really low bottom in this program you know I where it took me was um living in Pasadena and, 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 and not having any friends at all and not being able to sleep and getting up in the middle of the night and driving to a, a, a fast food takeout place, a drive through and stuffing my face with fast food and feeling so ashamed about myself and vowing never to do it again and pulling the car door open and making myself vomit to get it all up 
and going home and trying to sleep and then getting up again and going to a different drive through that is where this disease took me and doing the same thing over and over again and that is absolute insanity and then the other thing about compulsive eating for me, it's a very, very lonely disease. It's not something that you do with all you, let's go out and stuff our faces and then vomit, you know. It's not kind of the thing you do with your friends. Whereas drinking, I would go out and I would at least have people to drink with. Towards the end it got very lonely. But compulsive eating, the curtains closed, the TV went on and I just gorged. And, and then I threw up. And then in the morning I would wake up and I would go and, and I would always throw food out. This is the last time, I'm never doing it again, I'm going on a diet, I'm never doing this again. And then I would go down and I'd search for all the food I'd thrown out the night before. And I would search for old, old pizza in black bags and stuff like that. And that's where it took me. That's where this disease took me. And, it, and I ballooned out to like 333 pounds. That was the weight I remember coming in to Overeaters Anonymous. Huge, big, fat guy. And uh, where the, the bottom for me was getting on a plane with a hangover in Boston and coming back to LA and sitting in, and I couldn't fit into the seat and I couldn't, I had to get a belt extension. And I, I was so ashamed with the way I looked. And so that was where this disease took me. So I'm trying to talk about the emotions of why I ate. A lot of it came from fear in my childhood. A lot of it came from not being able to connect with people, not being able to really make true friends, feeling very lonely all the time, and then finding this quick fix you know, that is always available. I mean, it's not like I have to drive into East LA and find a dealer somewhere. I just go down to Rouse. Go to Rouse and there it all is for me, right? And I don't really have to put myself in really, really dangerous positions like I do with drugs and alcohol. It's there. And especially in America, it's 360 degrees around you all the time. Everywhere. Great food. So, it got to a point where I became suicidal and I was living in Pasadena and I was planning my suicide. I went online to find out the best way to commit suicide and um, I decided I was going to jump off a bridgehead first. That's where the disease took me and then I made a call to, I, I, I typed in eating disorders because my ex-wife told me, you suffer from eating disorders and I went, don't be ridiculous. You know, I can hear you throwing up in the bathroom. No, you can't, you know. Um, so I typed in eating disorders and it came up with Overeaters Anonymous in Google. That's how I found it. Somebody mentioned it in an AA meeting. I've been to one AA meeting. So I called the hotline or whatever it was for this meeting. I'm living in Pasadena and I got hold of a guy called Daryl. And this guy saved my life. And I don't say that dramatically. This guy saved my life. And I've met him years later at the birthday party. And I share every year out in Glendora, at this clubhouse that he's very active in, in the 08 clubhouse out there. And I called him and it was a Sunday afternoon. And I broke down in tears and I said, I can't go on here, you know. Um, and he said, look, why don't you just, for today, just for today, why don't you just try and put that food down and come to an OA meeting tonight. It's a men's stank in Glendora. And I went, okay, I will, I'll, I'll try and do that. And I, you know, I was terrified. I did not want to go. So I drove out, but I was so desperate at this point. I haven't told you about all the diet doctors and the pills and the, and the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the nutritionists and the gym memberships for decades. I haven't told you about that part. And this was it. I had nothing else. I had nowhere else to go. Everything had not worked. Nothing else had worked. So I got in my car and I went to this rickety old clubhouse, OA clubhouse in Glendora, which I go back every year on my birthday to speak. 
they always invite me back out and um, I went and the door was open I got there at 6.30 half an hour before the OA meeting started can you imagine nobody's there at an OA meeting <laughs> nobody's there 30 minutes before in an OA meeting apart from light a candle they sometimes get a little bit of that and um, so I went in and it was just like there was pictures of these two old guys on the wall there was like some kind of prayer on the wall and I thought this is it Christian is it like what is this you know is it kind of culty you know, I'm like, we're in California, it could be a cult, this could be, you know, <laughs> somebody going to jump out and give me a book, you know, or something, and the true story, I walked in, there was a, uh, the circle of chairs, and there was a guy lying in the middle of the floor, and uh, he sat up, and he looked at me, and he went, do you believe in God? And I went, yeah, I think I do, and he went, good, and he laid back down again. <laughs> so you can imagine a newcomer, terrified I wanted to bowl right I remember that first ever meeting you ever went to it's terrifying right you know what's going on here who's don't say hello to me oh god I don't really want to I want to get out of here at the end of it but I need to be you know I, I need to be here I can't go on like this so I did I sat <laughs> and I waited and about five to seven three other men <laughs> walked in five minutes before the meeting started and uh, one of them was this guy called Daryl and he was very kind to me and uh, he made me feel welcome and he said just sit and listen you know and we had this meeting the floor and this guy got up this insane guy got up and we laugh about it years later I don't know whatever happened to him and um, we had this meeting and we talked about food and we talked about they talked about their wives and somebody had you know broken up with a girlfriend and they talked a lot about emotions and they talked about food and then they all got up and they all got in a huddle and said this prayer off the wall which was the third step prayer and I just felt better I just felt better I don't know what it was I just felt better and I felt it home and for the first time because I have terrible social anxiety in going into new situations and particularly at that time not so much now I just I, I need to get back to that meeting and I went back the next week and they gave me the numbers and I gave them my number and they called me and I was like, are they trying to sell me something? Is there a membership to this thing? Or what is it like? I don't know. What and, but they just called me to find out how I was doing. And with absolutely no expectation of anything in return, which is the essence of the 12-step program. We give freely. We do it for fun. And we do it for free without any expectation of something back. That is the essence of this program. And uh, I went the next week and I just, you know, I was still gorging, I was like huge, and I've got my pictures here, so I'll pass those around. Um, and I went in the following week, and Daryl said, look, there's a, you, you know, you're English, Irish, Scots, whatever you are. He said, uh, <laughs> he says, there's a, there's a meeting over in Brentwood. And I went, where's that? And he said, it's over near Santa Monica. I've never even been to Brentwood. And um, he said, it's called Light, Light a Candle. And there's an Irish guy there, and another guy called Walter, real, got lots of good recovery. And, they could be really good to help you here and so I went yeah I'll go when is it it's a Saturday night at 5.30 so I drove right across town and it was January of 2008 and it was a beautiful beautiful day actually in blue sky and I parked my car up this side street and I found the church and I sat down on the, on the, the bank the steps of the bank um And um, I'm sitting there right now, and um, wow, I'm sitting there right now, 
and uh, I remember looking around me and going this is so beautiful this part of Los Angeles and uh, you're going to have to give me a minute here wow And I just remember thinking, uh, I wish that I could be thin. Oh, I wish I had a girlfriend. I wish I had a job that I liked. You know, I wish I lived here. And um, <laughs> I, re I remember these people running up and down San Vincente Boulevard and they were so good looking and fit and athletic and uh, I just remember thinking I wish I had that life and I went into the meeting and it was Deva was the speaker I don't know if you know Deva and I sat at the back and the chair was creaking underneath me got five minutes and that was the that was the start thank you that was the start the change the turn and I I just remember think, feeling better and I met Walter who became uh, my sponsor and I got abstinent very very shortly after that and from that day to this day I have never compulsively eaten I have never thrown up I have not over exercised and I've been maintaining a very healthy weight for, for nearly 10 years it took me about 11 months to drop 130 pounds um, and the, the, I can tell you now the obsession to compulsively has been removed has been removed but I still have a lot of other issues that I'm working on that's just the beginning if you're in here to lose weight you'll do that easy just follow the tools of the program easy but really to change this thinking and to find deep peace wow that's a lifetime of dedication ten years into this and I'm still working diligently every day every day to become the man that God wants me to become and that's what this is all about or the woman this is a character change this is about showing kindness and not retaliating in this really quite horrible world we live in but we can find a beautiful world here and particularly in the steps so I, uh, I'm going to finish on this so I sat on those steps and I remember thinking um, you know, wouldn't it be great to live here? Wouldn't it be great to be fit and healthy and running up and down that street? And uh, today I live around the corner from that church. I bought my own place. I was bankrupt ten years ago, just filing for bankruptcy. Today I own a beautiful condo around the corner from there. I walk to that church. I go to other 12-step meetings there. Room 219. 219 is my favourite number. All right, and I use that. I shouldn't be telling you. So I use that a lot in the password. <laughs> and it's the classroom upstairs. And it's been they've been holding twelve-step meetings there since 1959. And uh, you know that's where it, you know it all changed for me. And uh, 
you know, I sit on those steps of that bank some days and I run up and down that street now. And, uh, you know, sometimes I go and meditate in the courtyard in the church. It's like a real special place for me. You know, when I walk past it, I always feel a lot of love in my heart. That church, Bundy and San Vicente. And I go to AA meetings there. And, um, you know, today, uh, you know, in, in particularly this program, everything's changed around the food. I really don't have an issue around food. I've got lots of other things that I'm working on in other areas and, and working really hard in those areas. But I know that God has got my back. And I know that everything is going to be okay. And um, this is just a long path. And the happiness for me is in that, is really in that journey. And I weigh myself once a month. This is a huge thing. Have I got, like, am I nearly done? This is a huge thing. So the, the scale, weighing myself, I used to weigh myself like 10 times a day. And somebody was telling me the other day, I'd come home from work, take my clothes off and weigh myself. I was like, Jesus Christ, God, I used to do that. And this scale was like a, a ball and chain, right? And this morning I weighed myself because it's the, nearly the end. I always weigh myself like the first, nearly the end of the month, or the, big, the first weekend, uh, Saturday of the month, which it nearly is. And uh, this morning I got on the scales and uh, 190. And I got on it and went, oh, the same as I was last month. Actually, it was the same as I was last year. Actually, it's the same way I was five years ago. And uh, I've always been like between like 185 and like 192 or whatever. That's just where I, I stay. And uh, I just put the scale away and I didn't even think about it. And then it suddenly dawned on me when I was getting my fat pictures. Wow! Isn't that amazing recovery that I just took for granted there? That I put the scale on, get on it, oh yeah, same number, and put it away. And I won't even think about that scale until next month. And my sponsor actually calls me and goes, don't forget to weigh this weekend. Because sometimes I forget to weigh myself at the end of the month. And so that has come from over everything that I've got today in terms of my body and, and, and the, the serenity around food has all come from Overeaters Anonymous. But I, and I'll finish quickly on this, I have the scars of this disease and I proudly wear them, both internally and on the outside. I have a scar that goes all the way around my body because I had about nine pounds of skin removed all the way around. And I look at that and I look at it, it's a trophy. It's just me, it's who I am. And it reminds me of the, where I've come from. So I'm not going anywhere and uh, you know, Today, I am going to stay abstinent. Today. Today. That's it. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders who are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need, to, you need not to identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. All right, so questions. I didn't know it was questions. I forgot about that. Go ahead, my, uh, gentleman at the back. Um, Robert, thank you so much. So you said you feel like God has your back. Yeah. So what do you do when you feel like God doesn't have what do I feel? So I feel that God has my back, but what do I feel when God doesn't have my back? What is, when you, when, when you feel that God does not have 
When do I feel that? Alright, that's a, that's a really great question. It, I don't go through every day like, God's got my back. Uh, I know he's got my back. I know he's got my back because the evidence is there. Um, just through the way my life's been, uh, where he's held my hand. Somebody said this to me this morning. Um, I'm going through a horrible time at the moment. Horrible. I don't even want to go there. But I'm going through a really horrible time. And it's in an area, the two areas for me, uh, that can bring great trauma, uh, a great uh, pain, is finance or romance. And it's certainly not finance. Um, so, this morning I woke up and I was really uh, not in a good place. And uh, I talked to a sponsee of mine. And it's funny, my sponsees give me such great advice. <laughs> I have a very unique relationship with my sponsees. It's not, this is what you should do. This is like, we're helping each other. And it, he says to me, look at all the things that have happened to you in the last 10 years. He's holding your hand. You dropped to 333 pounds. You're nearly bankrupt. You're now living in Brentwood. You've got this great job. You've got a great job. Right, the money's flowing in, everything's fine, my career's going well. Um, you know, I've got an AA group that I found last year when I went through a separation from my ex fiance that just like held me and took me through terrible pain over the last 12 months. And so God works through people, right? And so how I find people is trying to connect, which I have a big problem with. God doesn't want me to be alone sitting in my own. So I'll call George my friend George, who helps me tremendously. He doesn't even know how much he helps me when I call him. Kind. The guy is the, one of the kindest people I've ever met, right? And I've just met Neil. I met Neil last week, and I've been talking to him every day. And I don't think he realizes how much he helps me. I talked to him last night at 11 o'clock. And so I just reach out to people, and I get quality people coming into my life. And that, for me, is God, like, lifting me up. It's not, I can't get on my, my knees and like, God, please help me, please help It's got to come from another person to show, tell me really where I'm at. Because my mind has just got this misperception of where I'm at. You know? It's like doom and gloom, the world's falling apart. You know? It's just the way my mind works. So I need to get that kind of like stability from somebody in this program that understands the way my mind works. The other thing is I do help a lot of people. I do sponsor a lot of people, and uh, not that I want to all the time, it's not in my DNA, right, I'm quite a taker, but I've learned over the last 10 years to give, and I think that is another way that God just takes my mind off my problems. When I'm working with another compulsive eater or another alcoholic, it is just a great way of doing it. So, long-winded answer, through people, is when I know that God has got my back. Great question, that's a very good question. Go ahead. Uh, I go to meetings every day because my mind is with me every day uh, I do, I go to meetings every day sometimes I go to two meetings so I will be going to another meeting after this in West Hollywood in another fellowship um, I love meetings I love the steps but I was told by my sponsor last night you have to get more balance here you've got to do more fun things, you work so hard, you sponsor people, you're at meetings every day, 
you know and so I am going to start working at that because there is a the, the, I think the reason why I'm feeling a lot of pain at the moment there's an imbalance in my life right and it's got to get like that I don't come here to live in here I come here to live out there and it can be quite difficult because it's so safe in here I feel great in here with you people I don't even know you but you're compulsive eaters so you think like me so I identify with you and I just feel safer with you but I've got to get out there and live that's what God's plan is he's wanting us to live live out loud as my sponsor says go ahead thank you your last question answer made me think of a question for those of us who are in more than one program for me the credit stone transfer but the study habits help and could you talk about how the study habits help in working well, for me, the disease is really centered in my thinking and uh, the way I, my perception of the world around me and my reactions to things. And um, so the disease is always there. It's going to die with me, right? And when uh, Bill Wilson was on his deathbed, he wanted a drink. That was what he wanted. When Lois was sitting with him, he wanted a drink, all right, on, the, on his deathbed. I mean, it, it, it just, it's a part of me. This disease is a part of me. It's my thinking. And so. Um, the disease just shifts around so it was, it was food right and then I got into OA and it, the food was removed it was alcohol and I got into AA and it was removed um, and it was uh, the other thing that I'm in is not to go too deep into it I, I can get very um, addicted in relationships okay I can get addicted to people and uh, particularly women and it's like they're, 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 they're my higher power now and it just puts so much fucking pressure on them pardon my French there and, and so I'm working on that area now right it just shifts around and so that's what I've got to do and I haven't met anybody that, that, doesn't, that just has one problem and in Alcoholics Anonymous they kind of like they kind of like address all those problems in their, in their way but I have to go and get that identification so I can't sit in AA and talk about you know my obsession with sugar. I have to come here. You know, I have to, Al-Anon was another one I went to for a short time. That was a great program. So I, you know, for me, I just have to treat the disease as it manifests itself. You know, it's like moving around. But whenever I get into the steps, it changes everything. I mean, I've got a very successful life. I mean, I don't want to give you the impression that oh my God, you know, I've got to go to a meeting. I've got a really successful life. But it's just shifting around. If I don't come to these meetings, then it goes off track. It goes off beam. And then I just want to compulsively eat, you know, or I want to drink, or I want to like date 20 women in one week, or I want to like, you know, all that nonsense, you know. Go ahead. Good to see you. Coming from your violent Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I did a very incredible thing in 2014. I went back. I, went, I uh, uh, did. I do uh, growing up in a, an alcoholic home. Did I? Uh, did I? Did I come to terms with it? Did I come to peace with it? What did I take? What steps did I take? Well, I made amends to all my family, uh, but I didn't make an amends to my father because I didn't need to make an amends to my father. Um, but what I did was I was on business in Ohio and I went to Akron where AA started and I went to the house in Ardmore Street and I bought an original big book. And um, I wrote in the big book a letter to my father. And uh, the last time I went to the UK was quite a while ago. It was about three years ago. I went home for a wedding, and um, I found my father's grave. 
and I went to it and I put the big book on his grave and I prayed for him and um, I, I told him that uh, I'd forgiven him and it was incredible you're going to get me crying again <laughs> um, I did cry actually and uh, I, he was a sick man, not a bad man and he wasn't fortunate and lucky like me to have found Alcoholics Anonymous in Los Angeles um, and, but that's my story and that's his story but I think he's guided me actually I think his spirit guided me out here and I've broken the, the, the family alcoholism I've broken it it's generational in my, in my, and compulsive eating I'm the only person who's recovered oh, in recovery my, my brother is like a homeless person in the UK my sister is this terrible bulimic who's been in and out of treatment centres she's now nearly 55 and she's just she was beautiful just beautiful woman and I see pictures of her now and it's the disease is slowly killing her slowly killing her but that's not my story by the grace of God go ahead yeah step six and seven uh, is done in an hour <laughs> it's done in one hour step six and seven one character defect and uh, well are you asking me how my experience in step six and seven is that what you're asking me well I follow the big book so after I've done step five the same day I go home straight home and I take a big book off the shelf as it says I actually did this and I sat for one hour and I contemplated where I was at with the first five steps and I looked at my character defects list and I meditated and I, and I envisioned, I visioned the man that I want God to, the man that God wants me to be. And then after that hour, or one hour, I get on my knees and I say the seven step prayer. I do it out of the big book. That's what we do. It says it all. It's all very clear and black and white. And it worked for me. So I just follow the big book. I don't do anything else, just the big book. No, then you've got steps 10, 11, and 12, particularly 10. <laughs> 10 is, uh, you know, I'm always looking for the main defects of character which are dishonesty, selfishness, uh, fear, okay, and resentment. Constantly, I have those every single day. As we all do as addicts, right? But I've got step 10 that allows me to, to, to pinpoint those and to do the four actions in step 10. Which is to call somebody, to ask God to remove them, alright? To make an amends if one is needed and then to go and help somebody and that treats my mind in the moment it treats that dishonesty, the defects of character all of those things it's all laid out page 59 go ahead um, you mentioned separate from people and having a hard time mm. trusting what process did you go through to get over five minutes uh, and you, uh, that is where I need a really good sponsor to tell me I, and my AA sponsor went, you've got to stay for fellowship at the end of the meeting on Thursday night you take off you've got to be, go and go to fellowship when you go in the room walk around this is a great thing go around the room and start shaking hands find the newcomer shake their hands be friendly to people even if you're not interested in them you know kind of like fake interest almost I mean you just sometimes I have to do that shit. I am never going to have any friends if I'm only calling people with 911s and sending up flares every time I'm like freaking out I mean you just don't make friendships that way um, so what I do now is I start calling I have a list of people I call I get lists 
and I just call them. So I do a lot of work around this, like, and I talk about them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working really hard at that. If you saw me day to day, you'd be like, this guy, is the, he doesn't have any problem with people. Because I do have a lot of friends. I just don't, it's the connection with them in, within me. So I'm working hard at that. It's just a habit. It's a habit of turning up, showing up, doing things. The, the AA group, uh, the Pacific group, are really good at that. They just can meet people, turn up all the time and move stuff and go to things on New Year's Eve. I think it's a great thing if, you, you know, if you're struggling in that area. So I kind of like adopt some of the things they've done in my own life and, and do that way. Go ahead. Um, you mentioned that, that Yeah, I kind of, first to, you know, losing weight's addictive, you know, by the way. And um, uh, I kind of went into a kind of anorexic period where I dropped, I, I got down to about uh, 180. And I looked awful, like, in the first year. Though I was not compulsively eating, it wasn't, and I wasn't restricting. I was just doing a lot of exercise because I loved it. It wasn't like bulimic exercise, I just loved running. And I just get lost a lot of weight. And uh, I remember people at work going, you're looking too thin, you look skinny, you know, something wrong with you. And it, it was kind of like getting addictive, so I really had to shift my, my eating, my food plan, and, and really check in with my sponsor every day. By the way, I call my OA sponsor every single night at 10 o'clock, Kenji, every night. And I send him my food every single day, and I've done it for years. I've never missed, even if I'm on the East Coast working, I call him. At one, I wait up to 1 o'clock in the morning to call him. I just have to do that. It's like, that's what he wants me to do. And so, it keep very accountable with my food. I send my food out, got, I send my food out to like 10 people. And they send me their food back. It's a really great tool to have. So, the tools of OA keep me really in check. Because I can go from like compulsive eating to like getting too anorexic and like, there's something wrong with me, I'm not thin enough, where's my abs, you know, oh my God. You think you women have got it bad and the body image? You haven't. Men are just as bad. I'm always looking at my... I used to always be looking at my abs. Like, why? I'm nearly 50 and I'm like, why haven't I got these, like, cut abs? Total ego and disease and I just have to, like, pray around just being accepting of who I am and loving who I am. And just being kind to myself. That's the big thing, being kind. Being kind to myself. Is that it? Go ahead. Mm. Yeah, they, they, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so, have I talked to my siblings about my program? Yeah, that everybody knows. Um, I'm, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, the OA thing they don't really get, so I just talk about AA, right? I just, I, I, I can't start talking about that. Like, OA. I, they know I've, I've eaten problems. Um, my sister, I've got one sister in Manchester in England who's uh, uh, pretty normal. She's never had really any issues. And uh, she's really proud of me, actually. Um, and she's got friends who are alcoholics and they've reached out to me. I've actually helped alcoholics in England um, because they know I'm sober. Um, my brother is like kind of a homeless guy. He's an alcoholic. Um, and my sister is a bulimic alcoholic and she's just like ruined her life and I, I can't be around them I had to lovingly detach I can't be around it and 
I made an amends to my brother and he wanted to open up this big relationship with me and I just I, I actually wrote him a letter and said I can't be around you because you drink and it's too painful for me his alcoholism had a more serious effect on me than my father's actually it had a terrible he was my big brother and uh, you know um, it was uh, you know just very very hard and then finally because time's up um, what was the other part of you lovingly detach I do that with sponsees I just like I, I, I don't run the lives it's like this is I try and show them but I just have to detach I can't have alcoholics in my life too painful alright thank you